Welcome to His Church Owensboro Podcast. We are so excited about what God is doing in your life, and we would love to hear from you. Visit us at hischurch.cc and let us know about all of the things that God is doing in your life. If you have been blessed by this podcast and would consider supporting us financially, please visit hischurch.cc and click on Give to see the many options available. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message blesses you. Well, come on, let's give the Lord one more. Come on, let's really give Him a hand clap. It's Sunday morning in the house of God. Come on, it's the morning we worship Him corporately. Lord, we declare we love you, we thank you, we magnify your name. We say you are good and your mercy endureth forever. Come on, if you're comfortable with it, lift a hand to heaven. Let's thank Him. Lord, I thank you that your mercies are new today. They're new every day. And Father, we know we need your mercy, so we thank you for the mercy of God. Let it flow into our minds, our body, our intellect, our heart, our families. I declare mercy and grace. And Lord, make us a people of supernatural honor. We pray that today. We come here together to honor you. Now, thank you, the man or woman that honors you, you always honor back. It is your way. So I declare today is a day of honor in Jesus' mighty name. Bless my brothers and sisters. And the church said, amen, amen, and amen. Come on, just turn to somebody, tell them you're lucky you got to sit by me today. They're blessed to be with you. And let's give everybody watching online at every other campus a big hand clap right now. What's up? His church family. We love you. I mean, I'm telling you, big things are happening in the church and big things are happening in America. And I don't know about you, but I believe that America is scheduled for the greatest revival we've ever seen. I believe we're right at the precipice of it. And I don't say revival is coming. My declaration is that revival is here. Can I get an amen? It's here. It's here. It's here. It's here. And we get to be a part of it. I'm excited about it. And uh, I'll tell you, I just think we ought to get our expectancy up. We ought to get our faith up. I think today is going to be a faith day. It's going to be a day that's going to mark us and mark our lives. We're going to look back and remember when God increased us and increased our faith. And today's the day that we're going to receive together uh, our, our His Honor offering. And it's, a, it's an offering we do once a year. It's our big faith offering we do together corporately over and above our regular tithe. We do it one time. And what we do is we come and we'll bring uh, first fruits of that offering and we pledge over the course of eight weeks of what we're going to give to the house of God. Let me tell you a few things that we've done together through this giving throughout the years. Uh, the church that now is in Owensboro, people are getting born again in it this morning. We got the down payment for that church house by the His Honor offering. Then we had to renovate that thing. Cost eight or nine hundred thousand. The money came from the His Honor offering. The kids' ministry renovation, come on, and the new foyer and all that stuff, the new look of the church, a lot of that came from the His Honor honor offering. Right now, we, we've renovated Dumas, Texas, that campus, and it's growing supernaturally. I'm telling you, revival's coming to Dumas, Texas. That happened through the His Honor offering through the people of His church. You know, last year, right before the pandemic, we got to plant a campus together in Henderson, Kentucky, that's now, they had 380 people on Easter, and we, had, we were able to buy a building and nine acres for $40,000 through a miracle. It got paid for. Come on, we ought to give God a hand clap. You can't buy anything. You can't buy an SUV for $40,000, right? And uh, we're able to do that with the His Honor offering. 
Just letting you know what the kind of things this money goes to do. Uh, this last year during the pandemic, we got to plant another church, Pastor Shane Warren. The seed money to do that, it's in Cookville, Tennessee. They just got their hands through a miracle on their own building. They've renovated, and it grew from zero to about 250 now during the pandemic. The money to do that came from the His Honor offering. Listen, whenever we get in the game together and give, we can expand the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you, the kingdom of God, it needs expansion in America right now. Can I get an amen? Come on. Let's give God one more big hand clap. Get your faith up. You're going to get to be a part of a miracle today. You're going to get to be a part of somebody else receiving the message of Christ today. You're going to get to be a part of somebody else being born again today. You're going to get to be a part of the junkie getting delivered today. Amen. That's why we give, because we love people. We love Jesus. We love the gospel. We're going to do it today, and God's going to do something for you because of it. Amen? Uh, whenever I'm, I'm talking about giving, and a heart to give, and a heart of honor, we call it his honor. I think about one of the most honoring men in the Bible. I think about King David. And David is a life, you can look at his life, he sowed honor throughout his life. Wasn't a perfect man. Had some major mess-ups. But still, because David sowed honor... Here's what happened in David's life. If you sow honor, you will reap favor. Let me say it again. If you sow honor, you will reap favor. Let's say that out loud. If I sow honor, I will reap favor. And David went from being a shepherd boy that nobody cared about to being the king of all of Israel. How's that happen? Also a billionaire, by the way. How's that happen? We sowed honor. Because of it, he began to reap favor. Here's what it says, some of the, the highlights of David's life. Second Samuel chapter 5 verses 4 through 5 says this. It says David was 30 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 40 years. In Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. You know the story about young David. Young David was tending his father's sheep. The prophet comes to his father and says, within your household, the next king of Israel is going to be born. And so Jesse, the father of David, gets all the boys together, doesn't even bring David in, leaves David out tending the sheep because he thinks that David doesn't have a chance. Man counted David out, but God counted David in. So don't ever let man count you out because if God counts you in, that's all that matters. And so the prophet shows up looks at all the boys and he says the boy isn't here and he asked jesse do you have any other sons he said yeah i've got one other son but you know he's not a player he's out tending the sheep probably playing his harp or something like that and uh he goes out and he fetches young david they bring young david before the prophet the prophet rebuked david to or jesse he knew he discounted a son he looked at him and says are there any more sons he goes and gets him, brings him before the prophet. Prophet breaks a flask of oil, pours it on the head of David, says, Thus saith the Lord, you'll be the next king of Israel. Now, here's the thing about prophetic ministry. Whenever you get a word like that, you think they're going to be calling you king and singing like songs from the Lion King tomorrow and carrying you around like you're Simba, right? Somebody's going to hold you up on a rock. It's not the way it worked for David. David was 10 to 13 years old when this happens. He becomes king of Hebron when he's 33 years old. You can do the math, it's 17 to 20 years later that prophetic word comes to pass. Doesn't become the king of all of Israel for another seven years. And he rules over all of Israel. 
And because David was a man that sowed, sowed honor, David was a man that began to reap favor at a supernatural level. My declaration over your life is you're going to sow honor, and because of it, you're going to reap favor. My declaration over your children's life is they're going to sow honor, and because of it, they're going to reap favor. Come on. My declaration over your grandchildren's life, they're going to sow honor, and because of it, they're going to reap favor. And our families are going higher in Jesus' name. Instead of asking for permission, we're going to give the permission. Can I get an amen out there? That's the way it's going to be. So how did David learn? to be a man of honor. Well, number one, his father was a little messed up, but he knew this principle. There was a war, you can look it up later, between the Philistines and the Israelis. And Goliath was coming out on the field and calling for a man to war with him. Now, Goliath happened to be nine foot tall. He's intimidating. He's, he's a warrior. And he's crying out, saying, send me a man that we can fight. And if I beat your guys, you, you serve me. If you beat us, we'll serve you. Nobody would fight with, with Goliath. And Jesse, David's father, says, hey, we got to take care of our army. Was a man of honor. How many are thankful for our armed forces? How many are thankful for our officers? How many are thankful for the people that have taken care of us? Amen? He says, we're going to take care of them. And so what his dad did is he loads up an offering to send to the army. And he puts wine on there. He puts cheese on there. He puts raisins on there. puts bread on there. And it becomes young David's job to take this gift of honor to the captain of the army. When he gets there, that gift opens up a great door for David. Because David, bringing that gift, bringing that offering, God gets him in the right place at the right time, and he sees Goliath. Most people would see Goliath and say, there is the problem. David saw Goliath and says, there is the opportunity. My God is with me, and nobody that speaks against the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is coming out of this deal alive. And so because David sowed that honor, a doorway was opened up for David. None of us would be talking about David right now if it weren't for that cart of cheese, wine, bread, and raisins, and that giant named Goliath. And you know the rest of the story. God anointed that stone that sunk into that giant's head, and the best part of the story is he took the sword off of the giant and killed him, cut his head off with his own sword, carried that head home as a trophy. I declare we're going to have some faith trophies in 2021. We're going to take the head of some giants. Come on. God's going to lift us up supernaturally. I'm telling you all to get your faith up. Something's going to happen in 2021. Right now, we're, we're going to sow honor. We're going to reap favor. Second thing I see where David's this massive man of honor is David's this massive man of worship. David brought honor to God through worship and his harp. I don't know how he learned it. Maybe just as a kid out there, it was natural. You sat around long enough in the desert, you'll need somebody to talk to. You run out of times, things to, to talk to yourself. I enjoy talking to myself. I, I don't know if you're like, I walk around the house, I talk to myself, and then I laugh out loud sometimes at myself. Jesse's like, you're the creepiest person to live with in the world. I'm like, I'm enjoying my own company, honey. I don't need friends. I'm, I'm content. But David's out there watching his father's sheep, and eventually, eventually, you run out of things to say to yourself. He starts talking to God. Come on, isn't it a beautiful thing to talk to God that the maker of the heavens and the earth would talk to us? I can see David out there, Bedouin, looking over those sheep, right? 
out there in the, in the wilderness praying to God. Then one day somewhere David got his hands on his heart. He had time to burn. He started learning to play it. Wonder if he drove his parents crazy when he was learning to play that harp. Finally he figured it out, right? And he's playing that harp and he starts having these words come up and out of his heart. This man of worship and words start flowing out of his heart like, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul, leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your staff and your rod, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will, I said I I will, I said, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. Young David writes the greatest songs that have ever been written. How'd that happen? Well, he was a man of honor. And he sowed honor, he's reaping favor. We're quoting his words 3,000 years later this morning. One of the next things I see about David, David was such a man of worship, such a man of honor. You couldn't keep him away from the presence of God. When he became king, one of the first things he does is he goes and he gets the Ark of the Covenant back. If you don't know what the Ark was, the Ark was literally the place God said, my spirit will dwell in the midst of the temple. It had been taken by the camp of the Philistines. As a matter of fact, it had cursed them because that didn't belong in the, in the camp of unbelievers. They sent it out and it was held up at a guy's house by the name of Obed-Edom. And while the ark was at Obed-Edom's house, everything that he had began to prosper. You know, that's what the presence of God will do in your life. Presence of God, you allow it to invade your house. Everything you have, it'll begin to prosper. David becomes king, says the ark's far from us. So he sends a group of people to go get the ark, bring it back. He goes with them. He sets it up in the midst of Israel. And they have a place called the Tabernacle of David. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there were people paid to honor God in the midst of Israel. He knew it was so important. There were volunteers as well, but there was even paid staff. They would come and you could look up. You look up on Mount Moriah and right there was the Ark of the Covenant. There were musicians all around it. There were people falling down before it. You could look up from, from the low spots and you could see the fire burning and the flame burning at night and the worship of God going on in the midst of Israel. See, David honored God. God favored David. David, when the Ark came back, danced before the Lord. Worship so strongly, people mocked him. David then loved God so much and wanted to honor God so much, he got it in his heart, the Bible says, not to leave God in the tabernacle of David, which was a tent, but to build God a house. It's amazing what he said whenever they built him that house or were getting ready to build him that house before the tabernacle of David when it was set up. The words of David, 1 Chronicles 16, 29, he says this, give to the Lord the glory do his name bring an offering come before him oh worship the lord in the beauty of holiness today we're going to worship the lord we're going to bring an offering we're going to come before him like david did you know david also was kind of messed up and um jesus is my rabbi 
Come on, how many of y'all want to be more like Jesus every day? Our Messiah, the one we follow, the one we want to be like. Come on, give God a hand clap if you want to be more like Jesus tomorrow. How many of y'all can use a little more Jesus in your life? I know I could, right? Um, so, so the second most written about person in the Bible other than Jesus is David. Now, I think the reason he's there is because there's so much in his life that most of us can identify with in some shape, form, or fashion. David had great family trouble. I know most of you have a perfect family, but, but there are some of us that don't, right? He had great family trouble he had to wade through in life. Had trouble with his children. He had trouble parenting. He had, he had trouble with women. David did. You know the story. David's up on the mountain. Whenever you arrive in Israel, you, you live higher on the mountain. The king would have the highest place. And that gives you an advantage to look down and see where everybody else is living. There was a time when David was supposed to be going out to war. And instead of going out to war and doing what he was called to do, he stayed at home and he's watching Netflix and probably wore the same robe for four or five days and ordering room service and slobbing out, right? You slob out, you get in trouble. Can I get an amen out there? Work will keep you out of trouble. Can I get an amen out there? How many of y'all believe we were put here to do something? Not just to, to suck up resources and breathe. Come on, we were put here to produce. Can I get an amen? David falls in this non-productive state, and he's looking down one day, and there is a beautiful woman bathing on top of her house. Now, she was probably out there at the wrong time of the day, according to culture. She's a part of this puzzle. But David's the king of Israel, the most powerful man in the land. The guilt lays on him. He looks down and he sees Bathsheba out there bathing, and she is not just hot, she is smoking hot, right? Jewish rabbis say, they have a tradition that says she was one of the five most beautiful women that ever lived on the earth. And I always tell young guys, if you look and you see a naked woman once, you've been blessed. You can laugh at that, that's funny. But if you look and see her a second time, you've been cursed. You can't, you can't control the first look. Can I get an amen out there? But you can control the second one. Somebody give God a hand clap if you think that's good pastoring for men. Can't control the first one. You can control the second one. David kept, kept looking, looking, looking. What you look at long enough, you go after. He went and took her. And he had, his, he had her husband assassinated so he could have her long term. David, one of his two biggest sins he ever commits. Prophetic judgment comes on his house because of it. The things that would happen to David after that, man, it, it, the story gets so sad it plays this. It's hard to read. But I'll tell you, even in the midst of David's mess up, God still restored David because David came to him and repented. And we have a God that's not just the God of a little grace. He is the God of all grace. And he's the God of the first chance, second chance. Come on. He's the God of the hundredth chance. Can I get an amen? If he put David back together, he can put you back together. I promise you that. Put you back together. How many of you are thankful our God's put you, put you back together? Amen. David messes up. Another time David messes up. The kings of Israel were told not to number their armies. They were told not to have many horses. They were told there were certain things they weren't to have. Why? It's not that the things were bad. It's that God didn't want the kings of Israel to begin to trust in those things instead of trusting in his power to deliver. David begins to count 
He does a census, which he was forbidden to do, of all the people in Israel. He wasn't counting them just to figure out what to do with them. That, I don't think that would have been a sin. I think it was a sin of the heart. God knew it was a count of arrogance so he could see how strong he was. Whenever they performed this count, a judgment came upon Israel and a plague began to roll through Israel. Now, I'm not talking about a plague with a 99.98% recovery rate. I'm talking about a plague where the bodies are piling up everywhere. It was obvious. This is like the Black Plague. This is like Ebola kind of stuff. David knows he sinned before the Lord. He goes and he repents. Then he knows that he's got to bring an offering before the Lord. He knows that's what he has to do. So he goes out to this place they used to burn offerings. There was a king that, that owned this place. It was a threshing floor. The other king's name was Arunah. Both of these men are loaded at this point in their life. And he rides up and he says, we're here to sacrifice to the Lord, to Arunah. And Arunah says, David, what's, what's this place between me and you? What's the sacrifice between me and you? Well, we're both loaded. We're both kings. Whatever you need of mine, you can have it. Go ahead, take the place. Take, take the animals to sacrifice. Take the wood. David answers back with one of the greatest statements that's ever written about giving. He says this to Arunah, I will pay you a fair wage for everything I take because I will not give the Lord an offering that costs me nothing. I will not give unto the Lord an offering that costs me nothing. I will be sacrificial unto my God. My God has done so much for me, sacrificed so much for me, it's my turn to sacrifice back. Listen, if it's not sacrificial, it's not a faith offering. Can I get an amen out there? We've lost that whole idea in American Christianity. We think we don't have to sacrifice anymore. It's why the church is where it is. Didn't have to sacrifice by taking hard stands on right and wrong. So we didn't want the culture mad at us. Now we're losing our grip on the culture because we wouldn't sacrifice and maybe be spoken against and persecuted. How many know to be persecuted is to be blessed? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake is what the Bible says. Come on, that's when the blessing is upon you. David says, now nah, we're, we're going to sacrifice. He comes and they slaughter, they bring an offering to the Lord. God hears his prayer and he stops the judgment that comes upon him. David's last big moment of honor, this massive moment of honor, is David had it in his heart to build God a house. How many of y'all want to be a part of building the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, let, let me ask you again. How many of y'all want to be a part of building the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? How many of y'all want to be a part of building the church? It's all I really seek to do with my life is make sure the church does well. It's taken care of. And right, we have buildings as a church, but the buildings are, are, are necessary tools, but they're not the church. Come on. You are the church. Your sons and daughters are the church. Your grandchildren are the church. We want to build the people. We need the tools to build the people. David so loved the things of God. He said one night, he's living large. He's in his house. The Bible says the walls in his house are paneled. And he says, here I'm setting." He's looking, I don't know, looking at the flat screen. He's in his massage chair. Come on. Just had, just had DoorDash from a five-star. He's hanging out doing his thing. He's looking around and he says, here I am. I'm living large. 
The house of God's up there on the hill in a tent. It's revelation to David. David says, I have it in my heart to build God a house. And he walks over to the prophet. Kings and prophets operate together. My job primarily is to be a prophetic voice to the nation. I'm a pastor, but it's prophetic voice as well. There are kings that, that their primary job, right, is to expand the kingdom and to resource the kingdom and to drive back the enemies. God uses prophets, priests, and kings and ties them all together, and that's what the kingdom of God is made out of, to what advances things for the people of God. So he goes to the prophet, and he says to the prophet, Prophet, I've got it in my heart to build God a house. The prophet misses the first time. He says, That's good, David. He goes home, he goes to bed, and he lays down. God speaks to the prophet and says, David can't build a house for me. He's got too much blood on his hands. Let me tell you this. It wasn't the blood on David's hands from war for fighting for Israel that kept him from being able to build the house. Those of you that served in the armed forces and had to shed blood to protect our country, don't feel shame, don't feel guilt. That's something you did as an instrument of God for safety in the earth. The blood David shed that kept him from being able to build the house is he assassinated Bathsheba's husband so he could have her as his own wife. He shed innocent blood. That's what I believe. And so the prophet has to go to David and says, you're not building a house for God. You imagine walking in and telling the most powerful man in the world. It's what prophets do. They come and they speak. They prophesy. Even though it might get them killed, it's what they do. He walks in and he says, no, David, you're not building God a house. It's not happening. And whenever he, he says that, you know, God tells David no. I don't know about you, but I don't like hearing no. Nobody should tell me no. Can I get an amen out there? Come on, I'm an American. I, I do what I want. I don't get told no. Amen? We all feel that way. You can't tell me no. I'm Brian, right? David's like, you know what David did? David said, okay, if you say no, that's fine. You know, a lot of people, if they heard no from God, they'd leave this church and say, I'm joining. I'm becoming a Methodist tomorrow. I'm leaving. I, I heard no. I'm going I'm to go down the way to the whatever, this church, right? I'm becoming a Mormon. An evangelical told me no. That's what it is now. You know what David did? The, the test of no is a big test. I hate it. But it's a test we got to pass. Can I get an amen out there? Instead of David taking his football and going home, here's what he did. He started setting aside money to build a temple. And he said, if I can't build the temple, my son Solomon in the next generation will have clean hands and a clean heart. And if God tells me no, the next generation it'll be a yes. So I'm going to start laying up money because it's not about me. And there'll be a temple built that I'll never see. But at least I had it in my heart to build God a house. See, whenever we build the church, it's not always about what we see. Sometimes you're planting a seed. It's going to be a tree you'll never see. You'll never sit in the shade of it. But when you plant a seed, it's not just a tree. I believe it becomes an orchard. And not just an orchard, it can cover a state. And not just a state, it can cover a nation. And not just a nation, it can cover a world. But it all starts with the seed. And so David laid up money to begin to build God a house. I want to read this to you, and then we're going to get ready to bring our offering. Here's what it says, 1 Chronicles 29. He tells the, he brings together the choice families of Israel. These are the leaders, right? 
And he tells them what the plan is. Here's what he says. Verse 1. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. What we do, we do unto God. Now for the house of my God, listen to what he's prepared. I prepared with all my might gold for things to be made of gold, silver for things of silver, bronze for things of bronze, iron for things of iron, wood for things of wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistening stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones and marble slabs in abundance. Moreover, because I've set my affection on the house of my God, I've given to the house of my God one and above all that I prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver, 3,000 talents of gold, the gold of Ophir, 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses, gold for the things of gold and silver for things of silver, and for all kinds of work to be done by the hands of the craftsmen. David tells them, I've brought my offering. My son Solomon's going to oversee the project, but I've been laying up money. You know how much money David laid up to give to build the house of God in today's money? He laid up $1.3 billion to build the temple in the midst of Israel. How many of y'all would like to be able to give a $1.3 billion offering to the glory of God someday? Come on, I'll do that. Move over, Bezos. Come on. Move, move over, uh, Zuckerberg. We got some people in here that you ought, to, you ought to have that kind of power. Can I get an amen? So he said, I brought my $1.3 billion. Think about this kid going from being a shepherd that was discounted to bringing a $1.3 billion offering to build the house of God. That's promotion. That's favor. That's stepping up. Why? Because he was a man of honor. Then David said this after that. He tells them, here's what I've given. Then he challenges them all. He says, who then is willing to consecrate himself this day with me to the Lord. Says, I brought my 1.3 billion. Now, who else is willing to give around here? And he's got all the heads of the family. And he starts challenging them. Now, I love men that, that challenge like that. You know what my job is as a pastor? It's to challenge you and to stretch you to operate and to live by faith and to shake off what the world said to you and to change your mindset and to step you up and come on, get you in a place where our kids all live better than we live, serve stronger than we serve, look like Jesus more than we look like Jesus. It's my job to challenge us all. And so I'm here to challenge us today. So there, there's stories about giving. If the ushers would begin to, to give out, or if you, they have, if you have the His Honor offering envelope, I want you to pull it out. There's a couple different stories about giving. We talk about a lot in the Bible. One is the widow's might, right? Jesus is receiving an offering and he's looking in the bucket. It's awkward when the pastor's looking in the bucket, isn't it? It's like pulling out the envelopes and seeing what you gave. It's like, you could have done better than that. What's up here, you know? Jesus is doing that. And he pulls out this, this mite. You can still buy them in Israel. They dig them up. It's just like a pretty worthless coin. It's like a penny almost. Pulls out this penny and he stops. And he says, this woman has given more than anyone else here today. Because Jesus knew prophetically she had nothing. She gave all that she had. 
Man, I love it when you see a college kid or a kid or a single mama give like 50 or $100. It's like mind-blowing. I've said it before, one of the biggest offerings I ever saw given was a guy that made $35,000 a year. He gave ten grand in his honor offering. I, we I wept out loud like when Andy went to college on Toy Story. I cried like that when I saw that offering. I'm like, holy moly, it's massive. So we talk about the widow's might a lot, and then we talk about the guy that's strong like David. David gave $1.3 right? That's a strong gift. And you hear those stories, somebody gave a million dollars to build this or this or that. You know, his church has never been funded like that. It's been some big gifts. There's going to be some bigger gifts, I declare in Jesus' mighty name. But do you know the majority of the funding of his church and the reason we can expand and go forward? It's because of the normal people that live life and honor God and care and do their part. It's really like that, that middle portion. Not the widow's might, not the David with 1.3 billion. But if you're in here, David, with 1.3 billion, we, want, we will put that check in the account. We'll build something with it. It's that, that in-between. A lot of times the in-between gets let off the hook. So the average American family, I know what we spend. I know the things we do. Right? I, you see it. And a lot of them, uh, average American families never given like a thousand or two thousand dollar faith offering. I think, I think that's a faith offering. So I challenge people that have never done that to do that. I used to say one, now we're printing money so fast in America, it's probably more like two. Because money isn't worth what it used to. Somebody just said five out there in the, in the audience. More like five now. Because um, money's changing quickly in its value. But listen, I want you to pray. Now I want you to believe God. Ask God what would he have you to do. And in a moment, here's what we'll do. At the top, we'll put what we're going to give today. It's a down payment on the offering. And then a pledge over the next eight weeks. A future pledge, and then there's a total line. And then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna count it together in here today. It's going to be fun. I like doing that. I like to see what we've done. Owensboro pledged a little over 100000 last week to this. Uh, Henderson uh, was like, I don't know, 35. Dumas was, one of them were 35 or 40,000. Come on, I know you're, you're doing stuff. Let's give God a hand clap for that, that giving already. So we're going to plant some new campuses. We got, our, we got our eye on it. We got to figure out the next step there. And also, we're going to help Life Impact International. Lana Vasquez, dear friend of ours, on the Thai Burma border, ministering to kids that are rescued from the sex slave industry. It's a great war and great conflict right there. Where those orphanages are right now, there's been bombs dropping right across the border, and we're going to help them financially. So I want you to pray right now. What, what, what are you going to give? What would God have you give? Some of you, it's, it, you know, it may be small, but it, it, nothing is small in the hands of God. It's not the amount of money. It's the amount of sacrifice. Some people, $100 is massive. Some people, $100,000 is not enough. It's just where you are and what God's saying to you. There's been times I've had to sell things for this offering because I won't bring God an offering that costs me nothing. So let's take a moment, just listen to the Spirit of God. And I'll say this, you already know what I'm going to say. The big number's God, amen? Small number is El Diablo, that's what it is. Come on, y'all listen for one second. We're going to give stretch yourself. Y'all lead us for one second while they're, while they're thinking about that. Can I get an ink pen? 
bring them and lay them on the altar. So if you're ready to come while they're still leading, go ahead and begin to come. somebody to get out their iPhone. Let's see what we do together, all right? Let's count these together. Let's go old school today. How many of y'all think we're a church family? It's fun to do this sometimes. Faith offering day. We started, somebody gave 15,000 of this last week. That's a good start here, huh? Amen? 15,000. Let's go. Well, y'all got, y'all ready with your calculators? Y'all got fast fingers? $2,500. $1,000. Doesn't have anything on it right there. Um, those don't have anything on it but they got stuff in them Um, $600 $25 there's $1,000 there's $200 Two thousand dollars, thirty thousand dollars, two thousand dollars, sixteen hundred dollars. There's a thousand dollars, twenty five hundred dollars. There's five hundred dollars, five thousand dollars, five thousand dollars. There's $1,000. There's $1,740. There's
There's $6,000. There's $500. There's $1,300. Okay. That's $113,675 to the glory of God. Come on, somebody stand up and give God a hand clap. What we've done together today, come on. Lord, we thank you. We give you glory. We give you honor. We say all the honor, all the glory, all the power is to your name, oh Lord. I want us to pray over this. I know this without a shadow of a doubt. Whenever we sow honor, we reap favor. We don't just give to get, we give because we love him, amen? But he loves us so much, he always outdoes us. He's that kind of God. Man, I'm gonna pray over this, these offerings. These offerings represent miracles. And I'll tell you what, God's gonna multiply it and he's gonna take it and make it like the loaves that were brought by the little boy. And it's gonna feed thousands and thousands and thousands. Let me, let me share this. I heard this. This is the word of the Lord from this morning. Even as Jesus told Peter, who fished all night with no success, to cast his nets on the other side of the boat. And Jesus talked to Peter, and Peter listened, and he obeyed. And it didn't make sense because Jesus was a rabbi, not a fisherman. The, the fisherman knew what he was doing. He listened to the word of the Lord, and he cast his net on the other side. And he received a net-breaking, boat-filling, boat-sinking a harvest of fish. Spirit of the Lord said there's going to be some net-breaking moves in some people's lives because they've listened to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Come on, lift your hands up and receive it. I'm going to bless you. Father, we declare in Jesus' mighty name that we're going to, we're going to cast our net on the other side according to the word of the Lord. And Father, I declare that there's a, there's a net-breaking harvest coming, boat-sinking harvest coming. And Peter had to call another boats to bring in the catch. We declare that we're going to be so blessed to be a blessing that we're calling in the other boats, that they're going to be blessed because we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I bless these people. I thank you for their heart, for their faith giving. Lord, multiply them, I pray. Multiply his church in Jesus' mighty name. And the church said, amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's give him one more.